0: Thanks for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. If you're in D.C., we'd love for you to come and join us and become a part of the church family. If you're outside of D.C., we would love for you to find a church family to get plugged into and invest your life in, where you can be held accountable and they can care for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill Church, you can give online at redemptionhilldc.org. Well, welcome, everyone. If you're watching at home, welcome. This morning on Sunday, if you're here, thank you for joining us. We're excited to have... People with us, it's uh, encouraging to see uh, some of you that I haven't seen in literally almost half a year. It's crazy, but we're here again, and uh, I'm hopeful that we will be able to slowly and surely get together as a family, and praise God, and hear the word of God. I'm excited for that, and I know Pastor Bill and the leadership are excited as well. And uh, today I have the privilege of uh, sharing the word with all of us, and we're going to continue on our series of the book of Philippians. And uh, we're going to take a small break from our uh, series in the book of Romans. We'll be back in, in August, so you can't really miss, miss it. Uh, as soon as we go back, we're going we're to be spending some time in Romans chapter 9, which is one of my favorite passages in the whole world. So I encourage you to tune in, keep on reading the book. It's going to be great. Um, and today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to uh, read the whole chapter, which is 21 verses. And I just want to give you as an intro that today's text is sort of the crux of the book, the central message of our series on, uh, in Philippians. is It comes out of this text, and it's uh, we, we named that Jesus is better because... Um, Paul has been developing this, this theme, this, uh, this idea of, of Jesus being better than, uh, in chapter 1, our efforts... That he, he says that he will complete uh, the work that he started in us. So he's better than our own efforts. Uh, and in chapter 2, he, he talks about how he's better than death and suffering. He calls death a gain because Christ is there. He calls suffering something that we are given uh, as, as much as we are given the, the, the favor or the gift of believing. Uh, also in chapter 2, he calls he, he tells us that he's better than division, than Uh, Keeping our own reputation. He's better than just focusing on ourselves Looking looking to Jesus is looking for others or for the interest of others. So we we have this uh, This topic of Jesus is better the way of Jesus is better and today's text makes it even more clear for us So before we jump into our topic, uh, let me go ahead and pray and if you haven't you can uh, please uh, Open your Bible in Philippians chapter 3 Let's pray Lord Jesus, I pray this morning, this afternoon, whenever people are watching, that that you will come through your Holy Spirit and bring light to this passage to us. Lord, I pray that today your name will be magnified, that our eyes will be truly open to see the surpassing worth of knowing you. That today we'll be able to, to, to not only just have a, a, a conviction, but also that it will internalize us as something that we truly live daily, understanding that you are better than anything we can ever achieve or be. Lord, I pray that today the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In the name of Christ. So let's, uh, let's jump to Philippians chapter three, uh, a little bit of context. Paul finished cha- uh, chapter two uh, utilizing uh, Timothy and Epafrodito, it's easy for me to say it in Spanish, uh, as an examples of people who gave their lives for others, people who are not just uh, seeking or looking for their own interests, but actually are giving their lives, even to the point of death, uh, for the benefit of others. So right after this is when Paul starts to write But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it. Obtain this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on forward to what lies ahead. To the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And the glory in, and, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a long passage that we're going to cover today, but it is, it is all one argumentation from Paul talking about how he was willing to let go of everything he had. And if you notice, the first thing, the first thing we see is that Paul began this section, like, like saying that he was going to finish. I Remember, uh, verse 1 says, finally, brothers. And I, I remember, I'm convinced Paul was Pentecostal because he totally pulled a typical Pentecostal preacher move, saying, I'm about to be done, and then to come for another hour or so. So that's what happened. This is halfway through the letter. And he's saying, finally, and then he didn't finish. So I'm just warning you, if I do the same thing, please don't believe me. Um, I can't shake it. So what we see here is during this whole chapter, uh, Paul reminds the church of Philippi that, that Jesus is way better He uses the word surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. He begins this section implying that this is something he has already told them. He says that this is something he has repeated to them and and it's no problem for him to repeat it and he's repeating it for the reason because, because it is safe for them. The NIV says it is a safeguard for you. So I'm convinced that today's message is not new for us. We've heard this before. We've sang this before. Nevertheless, it's something that we need to hear constantly. We constantly need to be reminded that Jesus is better. That the gospel, the good news that God has given his his son for us is something that is our safeguard. It's safe for us to hear over and over again. So today I want to start with a few reminders. And the first reminder I have is that Jesus is better than legalism and licentiousness. So this is what I see in in, in this whole text. Paul spent some time talking about the people who mutilate the flesh, the people who, who put their confidence in the flesh. And, at, and towards the end of the chapter, he, he spent some time talking about the people who glory in something that they should be shamed, ashamed, uh, shameful for, and people whose God are their bellies. He's talking about the two uh, opposite ends of the spectrum in, in what, we, what we think of Christianity. And some of it is legalism, is the people who put their trust in what they do. They they believe that what they do and, and their achievements are the things that are going to save them. And then we have the people who use license. They they basically trust too much, and uh, what they really want is is pleasure or find themselves. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about how Jesus is better than both of these ways. And in the first verses, Paul warns actually the church of this first group of people. And he actually calls them in verse 2, look out for the dogs. That's a pretty, pretty strong word. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. The reason why Paul calls this first group of people, dogs, the legalists, the the people who are legalistic, it's because it has a connotation of being unclean. Of being not pure, people who don't keep the gospel pure—they they, they want to add things to the gospel. He also calls them, and this is interesting, evil doers, which denotes activity. It's someone who's actively doing evil, not just passively sinning or being apathetic, but rather people who are proactively sinning. And the sin that these dogs and evil doers are committing is the sin of mutilating the flesh and then Paul makes a reference or it's references this because this is a reference to the circumcision and I'm I'm sure most of us know what circumcision is I'm not gonna explain it here but circumcision entails the cuttings of skin from the human body as sacrifice something that hurts And this was, and still is, a practice that is is the mark of a true Jew. And this group of people, the legalistic people who promoted a practice, a mutilation of the flesh, or the circumcision, back in the first century, were called the Judaizers. I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly, but that's the name. The Judaizers taught that we needed a combination of God's grace and human effort in order to obtain salvation. It wasn't just a pure gospel of grace, it was grace plus works. The word Judaizer actually means to live according to Jewish customs. And these people taught that in order for a Christian to truly be right with God, Jesus was not enough. They must conform to the Mosaic Law as well. And what that means for us today is that these people put their confidence not only in Jesus but in their flesh or their efforts or their works as well. And Paul actually starts to talk about this and and contrast true Christianity with the confidence in the flesh. He starts in verse 7 asserting us that we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit in verse 3. And, and we glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This is, this is in contrast to the to the Judaizers and what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to give us some examples of what he thinks are important things that people utilize to justify their standing before God. In, in, in his society, and I think some of these things are similar to what we use, or some, some some of the things we put our trust, our confidence in today, to also feel better, or believe that we are closer to God, or have a better stance before God in our society today. The Judaizers, the one who mutilate the flesh, are those who trust their works, and they trust themselves to be right with God. And remember, Paul calls his people dogs and evildoers. And this is radical. And he not only calls them that way, he he says to the church, be careful with this people. Be careful with this with this way of thinking. This is easily something that can confuse you. Legalism is something that can confuse you. We all have a tendency to believe and rely and trust in our works or believe that because of what we do we have a better or we are we have an advantage over others before God and the reality is that this continues to happen today the same call is for us as Christians we need to be careful with legalism Churches are plagued and filled with legalism and legalistic people and we all honestly struggle with it in some shape or form we are all struggling with legalism in our lives some of us very subtle in very subtle ways and some of us are pretty obvious so I have a few questions that will help us based on what Paul just said to find ways to spot legalism, not only in the church, but mostly in our lives. How can we know if we are being legalistic? How can we know if we are putting our trust, our confidence in things that are not Christ? So let me frame the, frame the following uh, into a few introspective questions. The first one is, are you trusting in your works? this is the first example that Paul gets he talks about people mutilating their flesh like, their like the circumcision the legalist put their trust in what they do in their outward efforts and for us it might be that we might feel better or that more Christian, more pious than others because of how much we sacrifice For others. What is it that we're tangibly doing? How much are we giving to the church? Maybe you feel better than others or closer to God because of how often you serve. A more contemporary example based on on the tensions that we're living today especially in our city. Maybe you feel better than others because of how many marches you've participated in. Maybe you're feeling a little closer to God or more Christian because of how much you've raised your voice for the people that are being oppressed right now. Or maybe how many articles and posts are you sharing on social media. If we are believing that we're better or closer to God or a better Christian because of the things we do, we are actually putting our trust in our works. And Paul makes it clear that the real circumcision is not an outward, a physical one, but it is an inward one. He's referencing actually something that we we, we studied a couple of weeks ago, or actually a few months months back, in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Paul clarifies this for us, and he says, A person is not a Jew who who is one only outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No. A person is a Jew who is inwardly and, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. So Paul is reminding us that it is not what you do, but it's actually the state of your heart. So basically Paul is going after our motivations. Why are we doing what we're doing? Am I saying that doing good things is bad? No, that's the evidence of our faith in Christ. But the reason why you do these things is what matters. Is this flowing out of a renewed heart? Or is this flowing out of someone who's seeking recognition? Jesus is better than our works, because His works are perfect. Our our works are not perfect. He is eternal. Our works are ephemeral. He's all-powerful. The second question I have is, and Paul utilizes this by, by, by saying that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. My second question is, are you trusting your ethnicity? I am convinced that every single example that Paul utilizes here is very well thought of. It's not just random examples. Paul is appealing to his ethnicity as something that he can boast on. He says in verse five, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Someone who is trusting In their ethnicity, someone who's who's being legalistic because they're trusting in their ethnicity, someone who believes that he or she is better than others because of their ethnicity. Paul is saying I could be proud of my ancestry, of my culture. Paul checked all their requirements of being a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a part of the chosen people of God, from the only tribe that was faithful to Judah and God during the division of the Kingdom of North and South. But maybe for us, it means that we rely too much or we trust in our, maybe our last name, maybe our, our ethnicity, maybe the fact that you are from the chosen land of America. Or maybe the fact that you are not from the chosen land of America and your chosen land maybe because of your skin color maybe because of your culture and the richness of your culture and on that one I raise my hand and I confess my sin I that's me I am a proud Mexican my wife made sure that I said a very proud Mexican I am proud to say that the the Aztecs built a city on top of a lake and that's where Mexico City sits on today and that I was born there. That's our biggest achievement. (laughs) Try that America. (laughs) Well, we haven't been to the moon so we're not there yet, just kidding. But I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of my culture. I'm proud of my food. I love my food. And obviously, I'm proud of our better national soccer team than yours. (laughs) I'm one of those obnoxious people to watch the World Cup with, honestly. And I'm the guy that collects the jerseys of the national team. I have one with all the signatures of all the players of the World Cup of 2006 in Germany. And um, I'm absolutely guilty of feeling better or feeling proud or relying too much on my ethnicity. And in today's cultural landscape, to be honest, this is something we need to be careful of. I'm not saying that you should not be thankful for your ethnicity. I'm not saying that. I'm I'm sure, and we as a church believe, and the Bible says, that everyone, every ethnicity is beautiful and valued in the sight of God. We are all equal. White is beautiful, black is beautiful, brown is beautiful, and every shade in between is beautiful as well. We are all created equally in the image of God. But the question is, are we utilizing this to feel better or closer? To God than others. Jesus is better than our ethnicity because He's the one who created our ethnicity. We are His workmanship. He is the artist behind the beauty of our multicolored world. Another way to know if there's legalism that prevents us from seeing Jesus uh, as a better, as, as better, is, is maybe asking. Just like Paul, are you entrusting your education? Paul brings that up. He says, as to the law, a Pharisee. He's not talking about his religion, he's mostly talking about his, his education. Paul was a Pharisee, he was someone who was submitted to a very strict and rigorous education. An education that was not available to everyone, but just a few. This guys memorized books of the Bible. We struggle with a few chapters. And Paul studied under one of the most important teachers of his day, named Gamaliel. And that's something we struggle with as well today, especially in this city. I have never been in a city that values education so much. What a better place to have people better than others based on their education than Washington, D.C. Just, just go around D.C. and you see the caps, the t-shirts, the sweats, everything with the alma mater written all over it. And it's all fine. I'm not saying it's wrong. Education is fine. It is a privilege. It is a gift that God has given to us. But again, the question is, are you feeling better? Are you feeling uh, closer to God? Are you feeling that you're, you're, you are putting your trust in this more than in God? Is Jesus truly better? Are we putting our confidence thinking that this is my education is what brought me to where I am, or is it Jesus and His grace? Another question is: Are you trusting your limited but strong convictions? Paul gives us this example, saying that when it comes to his zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. Paul was not just a fan of Judaism; he was he was somebody who was convinced. He acted upon his his convictions very strongly, and that's great. In fact, all of these things are great personal traits to have. But the problem is that we place our confidence in them many times. And we do not allow this to see Jesus as better because we're putting our trust in them. And our convictions will not save us. And this happened to even some, of, some, some Christians. think that their theology is gonna help them in our circles is unless you're reformed you're not saved sometimes people think and the truth is that our theology our theological convictions will not save us the same goes to our uh, for our political convictions or our sociological convictions or whatever other convictions you have Jesus is not an ideology or a conviction Jesus is a person Jesus is God Jesus is Not an abstract idea that we need to grasp. No, he is actually more concrete than us and true than us. And he is way better than anything that we can that we can truly believe. And we're trusting our morality. Paul says that he is blameless when it comes to the law. And some of us truly believe we're moral. We truly believe we're better than others because of how we act. And the reality is that we're all equally sinners. Sometimes I struggle with feeling better than others because I just don't have that horrible sin that other people have. And that's the case for some of us. Sometimes I tend to look down on people who struggle with the things I don't struggle with. We hear people saying things like, well, I haven't killed anyone. Well, I've never stolen anything. And sometimes that makes us feel better or closer to God because we're more moral. But the reality is that we're all sinners. The reality is that the proud and the adulterer are both sinners. The lazy and the liar are both sinners. The thief and the gossiper are both sinners. The drug addict and the workaholic are both sinners. We're all broken and immoral. We all first fell short from the glory of God. And our morals can't save us. So Jesus is better than our morals. Because he is truly moral. He's a definition of moral. He's perfect. He's holy. He is everything we're not. And then finally Paul brings towards the end of the chapter. Uh, uh, the, chapter the people who are not uh, just legalistic. But the people who are... On the other side of things utilizing license licentious people verse 18 says for many of whom I have often told you and now I tell you listen to these even with tears walk as enemies of the cross their end is destruction their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things people these are people who value themselves they value pleasure above Jesus maybe they don't put their trust in other things but rather prioritize themselves above anything else they value themselves above Jesus and, and the question for us to find out if we are uh, uh, having licentiousness in us is are we are revaluing we ourselves over Jesus and please remember, these two groups of people, the, the people who, are, who put their trust in their works and the people who value themselves over Jesus are, are both people who believe they're Christian. That's why they're, they're, they're making Paul cry. He's sad about this thing. That's why he's warning the church. He's saying, be careful because these people are among you. And both, the legalistic and the licentious, have Jesus on the periphery, but Jesus is not central to their life. The licentious, the people who value themselves over Jesus are just like the legalistic people because they prioritize themselves, but they just manifest it in a different way. Both legalism and license prioritize themselves, but in different ways. Legalistic people prioritize their efforts in order to get recognition. And licentious people prioritize themselves in order to enjoy and have pleasure. But the main character of both approaches is me, is my ego, is is, is myself. And Paul is telling them not to imitate them. And a few characteristics he gives us of these people who are licentious is that they focus on earthly things. Their stomach is their God, I'm guilty of that. They are proud of things they should be ashamed of. And their, dest- their end is their destruction. And the worst one of all is they are enemies of the cross. The reality is that we all struggle with the same thing. We all have a little bit of legalism in, our, in us. We all have a little bit of lic- licentiousness in us. because for both of these people, these groups of people, Jesus is not better, but rather something else is better than Jesus. But there's hope in this passage. It's not all bad. And Paul's suggestion is that everything is rubbish compared to Jesus. And the final evaluation, Jesus, is way better than anything else. In verse 7 and 8, Paul says, Whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Everything Paul accomplished everything he gained, everything he was, everything that brought pleasure to him on this earth, he counted as loss, as rubbish for the sake of Christ. And the contrast that Paul uses in this passage is very telling. He actually says that his ethnicity, his education, his morals, his conviction, his religion, his earthly pleasures are all rubbish. And this word is very nicely translated for us today. This world could actually be translated as excrement, something that is absolutely useless. And that is exactly what all of these things become when we are when, we, when they are placed before Jesus. When it comes to comparing Jesus with everything else we hold dear, Jesus becomes way better. When it comes to finding salvation, all of these things are useless and Jesus is the only thing we have. Paul utilizes the word, surpassing. The worth of knowing Jesus surpasses everything. When it comes to knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord is basically to say that he exceeds everything that we have. Knowing Jesus is so valuable that we have no measure to equate it with. That's what Paul is doing. He's, he's grabbing everything that we hold on to and saying this is absolutely nothing. And Jesus is surpassing. The worth of knowing Jesus surpasses everything else. Everything else loses its value and becomes rubbish. Because everything we have, everything we know, everything we are, everything we have accomplished, everything we have enjoyed on this earth cannot save us or make us right, righteous before God. And even more, all of these things will end, they will disappear, they will fail us. And all of these things are fleeting and ephemeral. But we hold them so dear, we pursue them so much that at points they become better than Jesus in our lives. Matt Chandler has a small book that that's, uh, that's called "To Live is Christ and to Die is Gain," and he says the following about this passage. He says Paul is unpacking this, these reasons for you to violently and lustfully pursue Christ at all costs, because even if you get all of those good morally superior superior attainments, if you clean up your life and manage to somehow never struggle ever again, but you never get Jesus, you've totally lost you've actually attained a whole lot of nothing in the end if you look great and sound great and act great but you don't know Jesus, who cares? Randy Alcorn, another author, he has a, another small book called The Treasure Principle, and, and I'm paraphrasing, this is not going to be on the screen, but he basically uses the example that consider, considering all of these things as better than Jesus's, as foolish, as spending time and money decorating a hotel room that you're visiting for a week with expensive furniture, art, and electronics that you will not able to take home. Everything on this earth will stay here and won't, won't last the only thing that surpasses and goes beyond anything else is Jesus and this is, this is amazing this gives us hope that's why he's better because he's stronger because he's perfect, think about this we are not perfect, anything we do is not perfect, it continues to fail it continues to make us cry it costs us so much And we have the only thing that exists, that is perfect, that is strong, that never changes, that never fails, that never ceases to exist, and is ours. And He's so much more than anything we hold dear. He's much better. He came for us. He died for us. He loved us so much that He gave His life for us. And we did not deserve it, even though we were all sinners. He gave us life, eternal life, by grace and mercy. And if you think of all the other things that we have and that we have attained and that we have struggled to get, they don't treat us that way. Just think of your education. How much you've paid for that. How hard have you tried to get it? Remember the fear of the exam. Remember the project that you had to turn in. The late nights. The headaches and then after that what happens you need to find a job and then it's all it's not even worth I remember one time it happened to me I was in in college and uh, remember floppy disks am I the only old one here well anyway so I put I put a project in a floppy disk that was my semester project for a class And I put it in my bag, in my backpack, and I only had one backpack, and that's the one I used to go play soccer on on Saturdays, and I forgot to take it out. So I put all my stuff on my water bottle, and I went and spent the whole day in the sun with all this stuff. I came back, and and then three days before I needed to turn this project in my semester project, I I, I was gonna finish a few things. I pulled the thing out, and it was totally messed up. And I remember I had three days to do everything again. We didn't have the cloud back then. It would have been very very amazing, it would be great. But I basically spent two nights without sleeping, working all day. The last day I just showed up on the third day to turn that thing in. I was standing in the back as I was falling asleep. I started falling asleep standing. I went back and I slept for like 24 hours straight. And some of us pay these prices for education. And we value them so much. And sometimes we we, we truly believe that it's better than God. And it's crazy. If you're you're not a Christian, I I just want to tell you, this amazing grace that we talk about constantly is available to you freely. God is not even waiting for you to get your act together. He is wanting to save you. He came down from heaven and left his pleasures and his throne. He emptied himself to come and die for each one of us. This is what we call the gospel, the good news. The fact that we don't have to pay this price in order to get it. It's freely. We actually don't even have to go get it. He came and get us. And this is the greatest price we can ever get. We don't, have to even have it. we don't even have to do the effort to get it. This text constantly tells us that it is not in our own strength. In verse 3, he says that we worship by the Spirit. Paul makes that clear. In verse 12, he says that Jesus makes us His own. In verse 15, he says that God will reveal this way of thinking if we can't get it with our thinking. In verse 21, he says that God will transform our lowly body into glorious bodies. This is not in our ability. This is not in our strength. Following Jesus is not something we have to come up with. It's something that God gives us as well. And he clarifies this in verse 21. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is available to us. That's why Jesus is better. And now because of this power we must respond to Jesus. And this is the exciting part. We must respond to Jesus read with me verse 13 the last part of 13 and 14 he says but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus because Jesus is better we are we're called to respond to Jesus by not looking back and press on everything you've done whether in your past there's, there's, there's great things or, or really bad things, forget about that. Don't look back. Forget what lies behind and strain to the, to the call forward to what lies ahead. The biggest prize that you can ever imagine is ahead of you. And it's Jesus Christ. Everything we have done doesn't compare to that day. Just think of your biggest accomplishment, just think of your earthly just fantasy, whatever you think you can get in this earth. Think of that and then put it next to the day that you finally meet the creator of everything. And it shrinks immediately. Because this is eternal, this is majestic, this is perfect, this is forever. This is not just an experience of an hour or two days or one year. This is the sovereign God of the universe that is at in front of you forever. He, he, he says, he, he talks about the call of God in Jesus Christ. And we are called to respond to the call of our Father who is saying, come home. Come to me, my son, my daughter. I will give you rest forever. You don't have to continue to work hard your whole life to make, make it. Our best life is not now, our best life is in eternity and it's going to be amazing. And this is what Paul tells us at the end of the chapter, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await our Savior. We need to respond to the gospel, to the fact that Jesus is better by understanding that you are not from this earth. You are not an American. I am not just a Mexican. You are not Republican or Democrat or independent. You are a child of God first and foremost. A citizen from heaven and your King is Jesus Christ. Your Savior is Jesus, not anyone else. And in the new heaven and in the new earth, I'm looking forward to this. We will all be one people. We will finally be adorned the bride of Christ. And we will worship him forever. And we will love him forever. And we will hug him forever. Because he's better. Because he's better. This is what I do with my kids. Every time I, I get the chance, we talk about heaven. And we're like, nobody's going to cry. Daddy's not going to get mad in heaven. There's no timeouts. And they're like, can I swim in the ocean and don't? Don't 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 um, drown, and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, can I be a friend with a shark? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and and I don't know if it's going to happen, but I know it's going to be beyond where we can imagine. And this is free for us. Jesus is better. Put your trust in him. Set your minds on him. Press on towards him, because Jesus is better. Let's pray. God, thank you. There's really nothing else we can say. Thank you because you are surpassingly better than anything. Thank you because you came down for us. Thank you because you gave your life for us. Thank you because you love us so much. Lord, I pray that today you will reveal this way of thinking. That you will reveal to us that you are the best thing that we could ever dream that we have that we can put our confidence in that we can look forward to let us find rest in you and who you are and let us stop pretending let us let go of the weight of our reputation let us let go of the weight of continue to try to make it in this world and focus on you, God, and thank you for your grace again. In the name of Christ, amen.